Let's take our Bibles tonight, please. There's 2 Kings chapter 13. 2 Kings chapter 13. I'm thankful for all of our children's ministries and um, Master Clubs is part of that. And of course, we have our bus ministry Sunday mornings and Thursday nights. And we have our Sunday school program and we have our junior church program. And all of these things work together. You know, it's to have a well-rounded program for our church and for our children and a lot of times we call it children's ministry, kids' ministries, whatever. Uh, this might help you pray about it in a better way. Call it this, the future of our church. Because that's what it is. And if we don't, if we don't reach young people and young families, uh, we don't have a future. And so uh, another friend from Bible college uh, talked to me. I, I'm not sure when he left the message. I just saw it this morning. And uh, he's in... Kansas. His name is Steve Stepanek. And uh, Steve um, asked for prayer. He says, uh, he says, I don't know what to do. He says, we had a church business meeting the other night. And he says, the church is, is needing new carpet. It's, it's in rough shape. It's all tore up. And he says, uh, we've saved the money up to do it. And he says, we need a new sound system. He says, it's been third, over 30 years old. And this, he says, it cracks and it pops and it's a distraction. And he says, we need it. And he says, the folks voted both those things down and they said well we're going to be closed in a couple years anyway so why are we putting the money out he says he says my heart's broken he says how how can we think that as a church he says why not say let's invest some money in some gospel tracks and let's invest some money in soul winning and let's get out and reach some people and he says i don't know what to do and so i i tried to encourage him say get alongside your pastor and say, I'll go visiting with you and pray with him and do whatever you need to do to encourage. I said, but if, because he says, I think I need to find another church. I said, if everybody thinks that, the church will close. And so I said, you need to, you need to be a man and get in there and, and work and, and do whatever you can to try to help that church move forward. So uh, those are the kind of days we live in, and unfortunately, and, and uh, you know, God's been so good to us and given us, uh, I say that because our children's ministries, it takes a lot of resources, takes a lot of people, a lot of people. If you think about what it takes just to have a Sunday school class, we have two or three buses on the road. There's workers on those buses. Uh, there's people that make those buses run and keep them in, in condition. And there's people that go visiting to get those kids on those buses. And then there's Sunday school teachers to greet them and teach them. And, and so there's just a lot of moving parts. And we thank the Lord for each and every one of you. And so we have Sunday school, junior church, master clubs, but that is the future of our church. And so please pray uh, that we will see uh, men and women and, and boys and girls come to Jesus Christ through all those things. And who knows if the next pastor of our church, the next deacons, the next Sunday school teachers are in that group right there. And that's, that's what we need. And uh, I, I, I'm thrilled, honestly, anytime somebody in our church grows up and becomes a part of uh, a vital member of the church rather than us having to bring people in from other places. We ought to be able to raise up our own. And, and I'm not against bringing in people, but it, it sure is nice to see somebody saved and grow up and then serve God in the church. And that's really what our desire is at Bethel. So let's, let's look at the Bible tonight, 2 Kings chapter 13. Uh, I, I tried to tease you a little bit with an email and a title this morning, and I don't know if it uh, attracted anybody to it or got anybody angry. How to vote in the next federal election. I'm uh, just going to preface this right away. I'm not going to say who to vote for in the next federal election. I'm just saying how to vote in the next federal election. How do we approach a federal election? 
It has come to my attention as I've listened to the candidates over the last little while. What a sad day in our country when we do not have even one pro-life candidate for prime minister. Not one. Even the conservative has come out and said, I'm a pro-choice candidate. Now, I'm not talking about the local level. We have MPs and things across our country that have different ideas and beliefs, and that's, that's a good thing that we have some that are pro-life. But on the federal level, as far as those running for prime minister, not one is pro-life. So I suppose, like every other election, you're going to have to hold your nose and vote. And that's typically what we do, isn't it? We don't always vote for somebody. We vote against somebody else. And that's just the, the situation we find ourselves in once again. But let's look at 2 Kings chapter 13 this evening. And we're going to give you some principles to start with. And then I'm going to move very quickly uh, through some of the points so that we can get to the last four words I want to give you, just four words, that I think will help us pray about this election. Help us to understand uh, biblical leadership from, from God's perspective. And so 2 Kings chapter 13, and we're not going to read too many verses off the top. We'll look at verse 1. The Bible says, In the three and twentieth year of Joash, the son of Ahaziah, king of Judah, Jehoaz, the son of Jehu, began to reign over Israel in Samaria and reigned 17 years. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord... And followed the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which made Israel to sin, he departed not therefrom. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he delivered them into the hand of Haziel, king of Syria, and into the hand of Benadad, the son of Haziel, all their days. Let's pray. Father, help us, Lord, as we look through the scripture this evening. Lord, I pray that you would just impress upon our hearts the actual theme of this message. And Lord, I, whether I'm trying to be clever with a title or trying to entice people with it, it just comes down to this singular thought. More than ever, we must pray. As we select our next federal leader, our prime minister, we must pray. And once we have selected him, we must continue to pray. And Lord, uphold that which is right in our nation. As the people of God, we are a remnant in Canada. And we have a responsibility, Lord, to be that salt and the light upon the earth. And so I pray that you just help us tonight just to look at a, a small corner of this idea, this, uh, this idea of an election or a federal leader. And I pray, Lord, that you'd speak to our hearts as we look at the word of God. Lord, I need your spirit's help to keep some of these facts straight. And so I pray that you would uh, just fill me tonight. I surrender to you and may the spirit of God help each one of us. Well, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as it is in the Old Testament, we have a lot of names here that start with the letter J. You ever notice that? Sometimes it's difficult to keep them all straight. There's Jehoiakim and Jehus and Jehoazes and all the rest. And so let's look tonight and try to sort this out a little bit so we know who we're talking about. The Bible says, In the three and twentieth year of Joash, the son of Ahaziah, king of Judah, Jehoaz, the son of Jehu, began to reign over Israel... In Samaria. So now we can put away the name Joash. You don't have to think about him anymore. Understand we are living in the days of the divided kingdom and Judah and Samaria. Uh, we have the northern kingdom of Israel and we have Judah and they are two different kings reigning in conflict with one another. Uh, but the, the kingdom of Israel is divided. And so it's giving us a reference to Joash, the son of Ahaziah, 
he was the king of Judah at the time. And it's just telling us while Joash is reigning over here in Samaria, we have Jehoaz, the son of Jehu, who began to reign over Israel in Samaria. And he reigned for 17 years. Now, underline that phrase, 17 years in your Bible, or put a marker or make a note on a piece of paper. It's very important that we see something here in just a moment. But mark it in your mind, 17 years. The Bible says he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. What did he do that was evil? He followed the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which made Israel to sin. He departed not therefrom. And so I want you to notice just first of all tonight, we're going to kind of outline the chapter very quickly and we'll get to those four principles as quickly as we can. Notice first of all, the choice to sin, the choice to sin. Uh, I, I put it this way, Jeroboam had a, or Jehoaz had a dangerous legacy. He had a dangerous legacy. The Bible says he followed after the ways of Jeroboam. And Jeroboam was a wicked king and for whatever reason, Jehoaz decided that's my hero. That's who I'm going to follow after. And we, we can be reminded tonight, just as an aside, that there's always somebody that is looking up to us and watching what we do. And, and even if it's in a negative sense, they're watching as a Christian for you to fail. They want to see if that you'll deny or betray your God by your behavior. And so there's eyes upon us all the time. We have a testimony that we keep up as we testify of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, Jehoaz was watching and following after this fellow by the name of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and he gave him a dangerous legacy. The Bible says that he departed not therefrom in verse 2. That implies he had a choice. He could have departed. He was the king after all. You understand when you get to the level of king, there's no longer any peer pressure. You have no peers. There's only one throne in any kingdom. There's nobody sitting on your sides pressuring you. It's not a tribunal. It's not a council. You stand alone. And he had the ability to make the choice. I'm going to turn this kingdom around. We're going to follow God. But the Bible says he chose not to. He departed not from the sin. So we see a dangerous legacy. Secondly, we see a destructive leader. The Bible says in verse 2, and he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord and followed the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. So in other words, he did the same thing. He patterned himself after Jeroboam. And here's what Jeroboam did. He made Israel to sin. That's a dangerous leader. A leader that takes people and causes them to sin against God. Do you know that's the very definition in the Bible of a stumbling block? One who causes another to sin. And so we see a dangerous legacy and we see a danger, a destructive leader. But I want you to notice the most important thing as we consider this choice to sin. We see a disappointed Lord. A disappointed Lord. Verse 3 says, And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. I wish I could say the anger of the Lord was kindled against Jehoaz. That's not what the Bible says. The entire nation of Israel was about to pay the price for this man's sin because he also made them to sin. A dangerous legacy led to a destructive leader, and now we have a disappointed Lord. But I want you to notice, secondly, we see the choice of sin. We're just outlining. Notice, secondly, the consequences of sin. Notice it says in verse 3, 
and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. I know I mentioned that in passing, but I want you to notice a little more in depth. It led to the anger of the Lord. You know, there are a lot of consequences in this life we can put up with. I think think we could, couldn't we? If something were to go terribly wrong in our lives and we, we make some grievous crime or we break the law or we do something wrong or even by accident... If you were to pull out of the driveway tonight and accidentally crash into another car and caused a death and you were to stand before a judge and the judge says, well, I think, you know, you should have been more careful and you weren't paying attention and and, and perhaps he found you guilty of vehicular manslaughter, you might say, well, you know, if that's what the courts say and I, I think it's a fair and if I have to go to jail for a year or two years or whatever, you you might be able to accept those consequences. As a child, I, I remember there was times where, as, as I think all boys probably do this at some point or another, you want to go and do something, and you know you're probably going to get in trouble, and you weigh it. Is it worth it? Cover your ears, okay, kids? George, cover your ears. But we do that, don't we? And boys know that. They kind of weigh the, all right, I, is it worth the whooping I'm going to get when I get home? Is it worth it, the fun that I'm going to have and the... And we weigh it and we, we sometimes look at the consequences and go, okay, well, let me tell you this. There's no consequences in this world greater than angering the Lord. We see that the anger of the Lord led to a national crisis. The leader Jehoaz was held accountable for his sins and leading a nation into sin. But not only was it a national crisis, it led to nationwide consequences. The Bible says in verse 3, And he delivered them into the hand of Haziel, king of Syria, into the hand of Benadad, the son of Haziel. Listen to this. All their days. It led to the anger of God. Secondly, they lost the ability to govern. You see, a leader that doesn't lead properly and is a sin against an almighty God, God will judge And God took the kingdom of Israel and he delivered them in the hand of Haziel, king of Syria. Now mark these names, it's important. Haziel, the king of Syria, and into the hand of Benadad, the son of Haziel, all their days. He said, well, how long is that? Haziel was a king. He was the son of Benadad II. He reigned from 842 B.C. to 796 B.C. or for 46 years. He also had a son, Benadad, that he named after his predecessor, Benadad II, named Benadad III, and that's who we read about in the Bible tonight. Here's the ironic thing. Haziel must have looked up to Benadad II because he named his son Benadad III, and yet it was Haziel that killed Benadad II that he might have his throne. It was that same Benadad that Elijah prophesied that he would not get well, and he would die. And so Haziel smothered him, and he died and took his throne, and he reigned for 46 years. Benadad II would come on after Haziel would die, and he would reign for just four years. But in total, all the days of their reign was 50 years. Do you remember how long Jehoaz's reign was? I told you to underline it at the beginning, you remember? 17 17 years. Joel has reigned for 17 years and died. That's how a king lost his reign. 
But the people of Israel paid for his sins for another 33 years. Do you see what a destructive leader can do? I fear for our nation. I fear even when our conservative leaders are now pro-choice. The hand of God is going to judge us. I'm I'm sure thankful. I, I don't know that I'd be comfortable preaching tonight unless I first preach what I preached this morning. God is still on his throne. The king of kings is still in charge. And God will judge. And God will deliver us. And God is in control and we need not to worry. But we see that this This terrible consequence of sin led to the anger of God, and then they lost their ability to govern. But I want you to notice a principle that we see throughout Scripture. It's called the principle of the remnant. The principle of remnant. What is the remnant? It's God's people that still, even in a wicked place, still will worship and honor him. But here's the thing. Israel was God's chosen people. Throughout the word of God, I think it's very plain that God dealt harshly with Israel even more so than any other nation, perhaps other than Sodom and Gomorrah. You say, why did he do that? that? Because he loved them. They were his remnant people. And so he loved them, and whom the Lord loveth, he chastens. And he delivered them to hand. Now listen, I believe there's a strong remnant of believers in Canada. I believe there's a lot of saved people. And so what's that tell me? God's going to judge us because he loves us. So we can expect the hand of God. But then we see thirdly, we're talking about the consequences of sin. It led to the anger of God. They lost the ability to govern. But then we see the loss of the arm of God. Look at verse 4. And Jehoaz besought the Lord, and the Lord hearkened unto him, for he saw the oppression of of Israel, listen, because the king of Syria oppressed them. It wasn't just that they lost the ability to govern and the king of Syria, Hazel, then later Benadad, took over. The Bible says they oppressed them. The arm of God was taken away. His protective shield was removed for a time. And he allowed them to suffer. The Bible says this in Isaiah chapter 59, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face far from you, that he will not hear. This is not about God's ability to save. It's about God saying, In my providence, I have to let you suffer, that you might be drawn back to me. I fear that's the road that perhaps Canada is headed down. God has the ability to save because of a remnant people, but he chooses sometimes to let us wallow in our sin and suffer the consequences. Well, we need to be people of prayer. We need to seek God. Listen, the greatest punishment that God can unleash is just simply to withhold his presence from our lives. Moses knew that. God said, these are a stiff-necked people, so I will not go up in the midst of them. I will send my angel before, and he'll drive out the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite. You, you know the story. But he says, I will not go with you. And Moses said, Lord, if you don't go with us, I don't want to go. I'm not going without you. Moses knew the greatest thing that God could do was withdraw his presence. 
And friend, that's what God did to these people. He shortened his arm on purpose, providentially, that they might suffer his wrath. But then I want you to see thirdly, here's where the hope comes in. We see the coming of a Savior. We've seen the cost or the, the choice to sin, the consequences of sin, but notice the coming of a Savior, verse 4. And Jehoaz besought the Lord. And the Lord hearkened. This is wicked King Jehoaz. This is Jehoaz who had departed not from the sins of his father Jeroboam. This is the Jehoaz that made Israel to sin, as the Bible tells us. The Bible says he besought the Lord, and the Lord hearkened unto him, for he saw the oppression of Israel. I want you to notice uh, some phrasing here in verse 4. We notice, first of all, a humble plea. The word besought there literally means to become weak. To become weak. Besought normally in the Bible means to seek out or to search. But the word besought here means he fell on his face before God and said, God, I am weak and I am poor and I'm in desperate need. He humbled himself before the Lord. We see a humble plea, but secondly, we see a heard petition. The Bible says the Lord hearkened. And we see here evidence of the Lord's compassion. He, the Bible says in verse 4, he saw the oppression of Israel. Isn't even good to know that when the Lord has removed his hand of protection and he's allowed uh, Israel to go into this, uh, into Syria and to be taken over by Benadad and Haziel uh, and these wicked kings who oppress them, that even in all that, God never removes his eye. He always sees and he always knows what's going on in our lives. It's evidence of the Lord's compassion. The Bible says in Lamentations chapter 3, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. It's evidence of the Lord's compassion. It's evidence of the Lord's covenant. Listen, when God makes a promise, he keeps it. Second Chronicles chapter 7 says, If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. God heard Jehoaz pray to God, and God heard him. He hearkened unto him, and he had compassion upon them. It's evidence of the Lord's commandment. Now notice verse 5. And the Lord gave Israel a savior so that they went out from under the hand of the Syrians and the children of Israel dwelt in their tents as before time. But look at verse 6. Nevertheless, they departed not from the sins of the house of Jeroboam who made Israel sin but walked therein. And there remained the grove also in Samaria. The grove was a place of false worship. Neither did he leave of the people to Jehoaz, but 50 horsemen and 10 chariots and 10,000 footmen. For the king of Syria had destroyed them and had made them like the dust by threshing. We talked about the compassion of the Lord, but notice his grace. The people, Jehoaz, pleaded with God. He besought him made himself weak before him, humbly pleading. But notice what happens. He sent them a savior and he delivered them out of the hands of the Syrians, but the Bible says nothing changed. They continued in the sins of the house of Jehoaz all the days of their lives. Oh yeah, they went back to their tents like they were before, but they continued in sin. 
Isn't that just like God, to keep his word even though he knows we're going to fail again? I'm reminded so often of 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if I were to add to the scripture, which we are not supposed to do, I might say this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, even though he knows we're going to fail again tomorrow. Even though he knows we're just worshiping him with our lips, but our hearts aren't there. Even though he knows we're confessing and begging because we're under duress, but there's not a real heart change going on. That's the grace of God. He gives you chance after chance. He forgives 70 times 7, even though we don't deserve it. Israel did not turn from their sin. So let me give you a fourth thing tonight. We see the coming of a Savior. You say, how, how did they turn this they begged God. They besought him. We see the human government of Jehoaz fail miserably. And God took that kingdom from them and gave it to another. And they failed and they failed and they sinned and they sinned and they sinned. But let's be reminded tonight, God judged them. But the only hope of mercy was when the leader got down on his knees and prayed. I don't know how long it lasted. I don't know how far they made it. Was it a week? Was it two? Did they get back to their tents and have a ceremony or a rejoicing time where they worshiped God for a little while? I don't know. But they quickly fell away again. Let me give you some principles. What can we draw from this about national leadership? And here's the last point, the charge for the saints, and I want to give you four things, four reminders. If you're taking notes tonight, I've, I've written just four words. Each of them start with the letter H to help us remember. Number one, humanity. Humanity. All of our leaders are flesh and blood. They're sinners just like you and I. They desperately need our prayers. You say, oh, I thought you were going to tell us how to vote on your knees with fear and trembling, pleading God, begging God. You say, you're not going to say we should be liberal, we should be new Democrat, we should be conservative. I'm telling you, you should vote for who God wants you to vote for. Honestly, I, uh, it used to be that we had a moral thing. We could just say, well, here's the one thing right there. They're pro-life, we're good. I'm thankful that we have local leaders that are. That moral compass is quickly gone. And to be honest with you, for the last several elections, that's the only thing I cared about. Because this I, I learned a long time ago, pretty much every politician, they can make a budget. They, they're not gonna, they spend things on things I don't like, but they all do that. They all, they all have financial guys, and they all have budgets, and they, all, they can take care of the fishing industry and the farming. They can all do that. I want to know, where do you stand on marriage? Where do you stand on abortion? Where do you stand on church and state? Moral issues. And if our moral compass is gone, we have to be reminded today that they are flesh and blood, they're humanity. And because of that, Listen, they are prone to sin. They have a sin nature. 
just like you and I. I'm not here to preach against politicians and how wicked they are. I'm just here to say they're just like us. They need a savior, just like you do. And so they need us to be praying for them like never before. Psalm chapter 39, verse 4 says, Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days, whether it is that I may know how frail I am. Our leaders are human and they'll make mistakes. Unsaved leaders are carnal and they do not follow God. Don't be surprised. Listen, don't ever be surprised when unsaved people act like unsaved people. That's what we we come to expect. Joel has did not follow God, and as a result, he sinned and he caused Israel to sin. And so we are reminded tonight that they are humanity. They are flesh and blood. They are still appointed by God. I don't have time tonight, but Romans chapter 13, can I encourage you to write that down and read it when you get home? It talks about civil servants and those that serve their community and that they... They, they need our prayers, their humanity. Number two, I put down this word, heart. Heart. See, what's that got to do with this? Proverbs 21.1 says this, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. At the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. Let me say this. When is the election? September 20th? Is that, is that right? Somebody say 20th? On September 21st, or however long it takes to put in a new government. Boy, that sounded optimistic, didn't it? Maybe you didn't catch that. <laughs> however long it takes. The truth is, whoever's the Prime Minister of Canada, his heart is in the King's hand. The King of Kings, that is. God. The heart of the King is in God's hand. And guess what else? The ear of God listens to the prayers of the saints. If God is turning his heart, all we have to do is talk to him. Maybe we don't have a politician problem. Maybe we have a prayer problem. Maybe that's our real problem. So humanity, heart. Let me give you another word. Hope. Hope. Our hope has never been in a human government. Our hope is in God Almighty. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. I'm going to tell you this, friend. It's almost comical to say it. If you're looking to Ottawa for your hope, you're in a lot of trouble. You're in a lot of trouble. Why would sinful human flesh look to sinful human flesh? Look to God. He is our hope. And if I can remind you of this morning's message, he's still on his throne. He's still in control. I think Pastor Charlie from Solid Rock says like this. He says, um, God, God has never taken a day off. He's never gotten sick. He's never got a cold. He doesn't even need an aspirin. He's fine. He's in control. We just need to learn to trust him. 
Our hope, where's our hope? It's in the Lord, not in Parliament. And then here's another word, the word help. Help. I'm just reminding you of humanity when I say this. Psalm 121 verse 2 says, My help cometh from the what? Lord. We need to pray. We need to pray. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. I'll read this and I'll be done. First Timothy. I took my Bible home at lunch and I left it there and I got a different one. So you're going to have to bear with me. First Timothy chapter 2. I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Humanity, heart, hope, and help. Where does our help come from? It comes from the Lord. So we must pray. So how do we vote in the next election? We pray. We follow our conscience as God has guided us by his Holy Spirit, and we mark our ballots. By the way, I, this is just an aside, but I believe it's our personal responsibility as citizens of Canada to vote. If you're able to vote, you should. And that's just my opinion. I... But the day after the election, we must pray even more. <coughs> we must continue to seek God's face. Joaz besought the Lord, and the Lord heard him. He listened, he hearkened. The word hearkened means more than heard. Sometimes we hear something, but we don't act. Hearkened means to hear and act. And God sent them a Savior. Notice the Bible doesn't say who the Savior was. I think because God didn't want to name anybody human flesh there. He wanted everybody to know, I delivered them. It was me. That's where our hope is. That's where our help comes from. And so let's trust in God. Let's not worry about this election. Let's pray. Let's do our civic duty. And let's pray for our leader like never before, that they will do what's right. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We pray that you'd help us with it. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to learn from the sins of Joaz, Lord, we could have turned to 30 different kings in the Old Testament and we could have seen the same pattern repeated. A king that sinned against God and followed the sins of their father and, and God was angry with them. And Lord, there's so many times that is repeated and no doubt it's been repeated in our nation as well. I pray you'd help us as the people of God to learn the lesson. Lord, get serious about our prayer lives lifting up our leaders before God and begging and pleading that their hearts would be turned by God on the throne. So speak to our hearts, Lord. Guide us and direct us, we pray. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand this evening as we sing a hymn of invitation. Can I, can I encourage you to take a few minutes and pray for our country, for this election? It is, it's a critical election. It's important. And we need to pray and ask God, beg God, plead with God. 
This I know, God can still raise up somebody that's pro-life and pro-biblical marriage and all those things. God can still do that. So let's pray.